Hey, Podcast World. Thank you for listening last week. Um, This is episode two now of A White Girl's Guide to Hip Hop. And I just wanted to give a big shout out to everyone that supported me in my first episode. Um, I definitely didn't think that this would have gone as well as it did. And I'm super grateful to everyone who has decided to support my new little project. Um, So that being said, today I... You know, clearly this is a hip hop, hip hop, hip to the hip to the hip to the hop to the don't stop because I can't talk today. Um, Clearly this is a hip hop podcast, um, but I wanted to talk about the history of hip hop today and give you guys a very broad overview of the history of the music genre, how it got started all the way through where it is at today. Um, So I hope you enjoy. I seen a lot of shit I shouldn't have, but never forgot it though. Brothers on the corner selling crack like it was not a though. Walk inside my kitchen, baking soda all up on the floor. Police banging on the dough while gripping the 44. I was just a youngin', but this type of shit I seen before. Y'all see a white boy, but my daddy a Negro. Half breed motherfucker grip the mic and heat flow. I just wanna spread love, they want me to bleed slow. I just wanna keep the peace and help people. Give some of this money that I'm making to the people. So if you hatin' on me, goddamn you. You evil and just don't understand Cause I'm flyer than Knievel Been through a lot of shit But I keep it on the deep low Never bustin' in them streets But I keep it G though I ain't in the fairy tales I'm just me, ho Only thing I talk about Is everything that we know I heard you got a fucking problem Bitch, I bet I beast Ain't no need of reach I don't Okay, so we piece. should probably first start off By actually defining what hip-hop is Now, you know, if you ask any old person um who was around when rock and roll started or you know kind of the the beginning of the baby boomer generation um they're going to define hip-hop as a music that makes people sag their pants and do bad things and that is absolutely not the case most of the time um for what hip-hop really is um But more specifically, you know, the Webster's Dictionary version of the definition is that hip hop is a genre developed by inner cities of specifically the United States by African-American individuals. Um, Now, you know, that's to say, and this is a quick side note, but in other countries such as the UK, England, London, um, London underground scene specifically, the term hip hop is not something that is used to define those artists of other countries. Um, instead, they are just classified as rap. And that's because hip hop specifically focuses, it's music that focuses on injustices within the inner cities. That's what it was created on. And, you know, in the Bronx or in LA, um, once it moved out to the West Coast. But Rappers around the world don't talk about political injustices or they don't talk about racial inequality as United States artists do. And so in this podcast, when I'm referring to hip hop, um, I will be only specifically meant, you know, taking note to the United States. Um, And that's not to say that this podcast will never cover artists of other countries. Um, You know, for instance, there's a rapper and in London, um, who goes by the name of Little Sims, and she's one of my favorite rappers, EMCs of all time. Um, and so I definitely want to, you know, kind of go across the pond eventually. But for today's episode, all 
um, history that we're going to be talking about is within our 50 states. Um, so another quick note too, is that when we are talking about, uh, the history of hip hop today, um, just know that when we speak about decades, um, or I guess I am cause I'm here by myself, um, is that in music technically, decades overlap. And so when I speak about the seventies, I may be speaking about 73 to 82, or if I speak about the nineties, really nineties hip hop started in about 1988 and goes through about 2001. Um, and so I will make sure to note those, um, kind of minor details, but I wanted to kind of make that note before we got started. Um, but yeah, so who actually started the genre of hip hop? Um, the genre actually got started in the Bronx um, by what I like to call as the Holy Trinity. Um, there were three artists known as DJ Cool Herc, Grandmaster Flash, and Africa Bambata, who actually really defined the genre, you know, transitioning from funk and disco into what we know is hip hop. Um, now, so in 1973 in the Bronx, um, DJ Cool Herc is actually, he's given the credit of hosting the first hip hop party um, and experience with experiencing with a technique used to continuously play a record known as the merry-go-round. Um, and now the merry-go-round was a technique that basically had no interruption from the needle. Um, and so that was the first integration of two records playing at the same time that would kind of, uh, overlap in terms of their music. And so instead of having to stop it, flip the, flip the record over and then keep playing, break dancers or, you know, anyone else in the crowd didn't have to wait for the DJ to change the song. Um, now during DJ Cool Herc's parties, um, break dancing actually became a dance phase. Um, and there were, there were break dancers known as a one B boy, um, from around the neighborhood who would show off their moves in dark smoky rooms of buildings. Um, and that's really where DJ Cool Herc kind of changed the music genre, um, and the industry specifically for forever, technically. Um, but that was right in, you know, the, his party started in a little, a little tiny room in an apartment building. Um, and from there, um, moving towards the turn of the decade in 1977, we have Africa Bambata and his group, the Zulu Nation, um, who actually are credited with creating DJ rap battles. So for four years, the neighborhood of the Bronx is getting integrated into this new music. You know, a lot of the teens were really the ones that were jumping on this craze. Um, but African Bambata kind of took it the next step. Um, and today still, um, you can see documentaries, uh, that really highlight who he was for his artistry, but more specifically, he's kind of recognized as a local hero, um, because he, he used to take a lot of the gangs and bring them back into the community. Um, and that, you know, Graffiti even today is kind of known as a gang symbol, um, but he he looked at it as a way that teenagers could express themselves just as he believed that they could emceeing on a mic. Um, and so this this is really when hip hop was defined. It started being a cultural movement um, and it was a way to provide a message to listeners and for those messages to be, you know, bring to light to the struggles being faced in the community. So whether you were talking about uh, not being able to buy new shoes or your brother selling drugs or, you know, finding out about, um, 
you know, any police brutality that happened to any of your friends, that this was a way, uh, to jump on a mic and speak to those truths. Um, and there was actually a documentary that he was in through Netflix called Hip Hop Evolution. I believe it came out last year, early 2016. Um, and he, you know, he's, he credits a lot to saying no matter what color you are, you know where your ancestors are from. And, uh, and that was one of the kind of pushers to stop the gang violence in his community of that this is your home too, just as it was your ancestors. So you should, you know, take advantage of the culture that's around you. So moving into the 80, the 1980s, um, we have Grandmaster Flash, who he, you know, he was one of those kids that kind of was going to the hip hop parties. He was experiencing hip hop just as so many other young individuals were. Um, but he is credited more as a hip hop engineer, um, or innovator. He was actually, uh, one of the original DJs who figured out a way to mix records. So as I mentioned before, DJ Cool Herc, you know, figured out how to overlap music, but DJ, but Grandmaster Flash figured out how to mix the needle. Um, and so what he would actually do is he would take a, like an orange crayon and draw on the records where he needed to mix a record. And so when I talk about mixing, that's when you're putting your fingers on the record to make it scratch. Um, and so Grandmaster Flash had figured out a way to mark where he was supposed to do that so he could scratch and then overlap into the next record um, and kind of add a, you know, a special touch onto the tracks that he was playing. Um, and then, so artists, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, so Grandmaster Flash um, is, you know, again, like an engineer, as I said, um, but he is he's been called, you know, someone who didn't just play the record, but he played technology and he really took advantage of the tools that were put in front of him. Um, and even today, he is a master of scratching records. Um, if you ever come here, um, I am in Austin. Um, and if you've ever heard of our huge festival South by Southwest, um, Grandmaster Flash actually mixes every year. Um, and last year I saw him twice. So he does multiple sets and he shows off his skills, but he's also a very personable person. And so if you're learning, if you're wanting to learn, um, how to scratch or how to DJ. Um, he has, I've seen him take the time to speak with people, individuals, groups of kids, um, after his sets. So that's kind of Grandmaster Flash's history. He's still one of the top people in the game, even, you know, he's an OG. Um, but African Bambata doesn't do a whole lot anymore and neither does DJ Cool Herc. They're very much, you know, the retired OGs, um, that we should definitely respect. But the Holy Trinity really, the three of those gentlemen really set the stage for what hip hop would be toward, you know, into the 1980s. Um, and so the next year we are going to talk about, um, is 1982. And that is the first release by the white group rappers known as the Beastie Boys. Um, in 1982, they released Polywog Stew. Um, and they, from there became the rap group of the white boys who are always ready to party. Um, in their music, you're not going to hear too much about inner city struggles because the Beastie Boys weren't really from inner cities. 
yeah, they were from the New York metropolitan area, um, but they didn't experience life as other rappers were at the time. And so they spent a lot of time actually referencing pop culture, like White Castle. Um, and I've spoken a lot about the Beastie Boys in previous um, writings that I've done. Um, and I kind of consider them the Brat Pack, right? They're they're that prestigious white group of mixed match kids um, that were really around during the John Hughes era. Um, and But, you know, again, they really didn't hit on anything other than trying to let white kids from the suburbs fit in. Um, and that's kind of their legacy. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but they should be credited with being the first, uh, kind of white group to break into the scene. Um, and really hit the nail on the head that, uh, hip hop is about culture. And while, you know, I will say many times, I'm sure in this podcast, it is a black music. It, originated from R&B and jazz and blues, but the Beastie Boys showed that you could take vocal techniques and you could take instrumental breakdowns from hip hop that had been done and turn it into pop music, so to speak. Um, And so they were really that group that started the trend of pushing hip hop into mainstream um, and really helped progress the genre very quickly, I guess, um, is a good way to put it. So then, um, towards the end of the 1980s, you have NWA's fuck the police that came out. Um, it came out of Compton and MWA is a group. Um, it's got Dr. Dre and ice cube and countless others. Um, there's actually a really good book that I actually just finished. Um, it took me months to read, but it's called, uh, the birth of, West Coast Hip Hop, Original OGs, I believe it's called. It's by Ben Ben Westbrook, I think is his name. Um, but I can put that in the notes in this podcast. But it's a really great book, and it details, um, you know, the original artists that came out of L.A., out of California, Oakland area, Compton. Um, so that's like Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, Easy e um, And it really details how they grew up and where they were at that brought them into uh, the genre and rapping and kind of where they went after that. Um, but the group NWA in 1988 released Fuck the Police, which was a very heavy, loud outcry against police brutality in L.A. And this was really one of the first times that injustices within the inner city of Compton were being recorded and talked about. Um, but because of the strong language and the loudness of NWA's message, um, this was the turning point in hip hop when the music industry decided that they needed a way to protect the mindful ears of children. Um, and so that is when they created the parental advisory label warnings that you now see on the front of CDs or cassettes, depending on which part of hip hop we're talking about. Um, but this is a song that changed the record industry yet again, um, for the better. Um, and it helped define, what hip hop could be. It started the birth of gangster rap, um, and the language. So, you know, dropping F bombs, you know, bitch slut, those were words that were now being used and hip hop was being transitioned into a time that you didn't just necessarily have to 
be politically correct when you were speaking or, you know, be allowing, you know, to allow yourself to market, be, you know, be marketable to mass audiences. You could say what, how you wanted it without having to censor yourself. And that's really where gangster rap came out of originally. Um, but so during, you know, during this time, the late 1880s and or, I'm sorry, not 1880s, 1980s, when we are talking about the 1980s, we're really talking about 79 to 92. Um, and that's really, that was when the golden age of hip hop um, really came about. It's characterized by its diversity, quality, and innovation and influence on the genre's emergence um, after the previous decades of artists. And so even though we're talking about you know, the birth of gangster rap in the, in 1988, technically, um, it doesn't mean that they weren't taking influences from artists who were coming before them. Definitely from an instrumental standpoint, rappers were still, um, trying to figure out what scratching meant for them, where pauses fit in, um, into those breaks on records. But the, the golden age of hip hop is really where artists started getting their voice and where they were, you know, practicing a therapy session and getting it all out on a track or, you know, on an open mic night and going on their way and feeling maybe not necessarily better in the morning, but feeling more confident about who they are and where they came from. Um, but so 1989, there's the year right after fuck the police came out. Um, it's kind of known as the last year in history. And so from a hip hop perspective, this is really important. Um, because really, history started for hip hop after the United States history, so to speak, ended. Um, and this theory, uh, that history ended in 1989 actually comes from an author named Joshua Clover and his book, uh, it's called 1989. Bob Dylan didn't have this to sing about. And it's a theory that really categorizes the idea that nothing happened after 1989 that really innovated the world. Um, and so, you know, before 1989, we had the Vietnam war and that's where folk music and disco came out of. We had both world wars. We had the invention of airplanes and the invention of cars and women would wear skirts to school. Um, those were, you know, and even the civil rights, um, those were life changing events that had molded who we are as an American society. Um, however, for hip hop though, history is just getting started. Um, after, after really, after NWA released their first single album, um, that is when we start to see the transition into hip hop being an empowering movement. Um, and in 1992 is the LA riots. Um, and if you are not familiar with those, uh, the LA riots was actually a, massive protest against the death of Rodney King and the attack of the police officer on him during an arrest. Um, and during the LA riots there, they've been called a few other things. Um, but during this time, the track fuck the police actually was kind of used as an anthem during the protest. And it's been cited as the predecessor to fighting back against injustices. Um, uh, but it was also a way to get the community to, support the protests that were going on and get them to understand that Rodney King was made as an example. Um, and that's really what incited everything. Um, 
But it was a way for them to feel the anger and the sadness and the loss um, and to get them proud of to be who they are and fight back against what wasn't right. Um, so during the, again, during the golden age, all of this is going on. Um, I like to say that the golden age of hip hop really kind of ended around 1997. Um, so again, you know, overlapping of decades, um, but during the golden age of hip-hop, artists such as LL Cool J, A Tribe Called Quest, Run DMC, Rakim, um, MC Hammer, uh, Flava Flav, those artists are coming out of the golden age. They're taking influences from their predecessors and putting their own twist on it. And so LL Cool J, he's attributed to starting fashion trends such as wearing a bucket hat and hip-hop. Flava Flav started the gold chain. Obviously, he had a giant clock at the bottom of it. Um, you know, and so this is really when another step in creating culture, hip-hop cultural movement really started. And that's when fashion really came into it. Um, and so actually, you know, LL Cool J, he was just honored at the Kennedy Center this month um, for you know, clearly he's a rapper, um, but he was the first rapper actually to be honored at the Kennedy Center. And then, you know, you have other artists like Run DMC who was very suicidal during his, during his top time. Um, and when I say Run DMC, I'm talking about Daryl, who is, his nickname is DMC, um, in the group. But he went through a period of depression and suicidal uh, tendencies, and he actually ended up, you know, fighting that and started a comic book about dealing with depression. Um, and he's kind of more in the arts now. He's he's not really involved in the music series, music industry anymore. Um, but there's so many things that these artists have really progressed into and have really added to the colorfulness of what hip hop is. And, it, you know, this is really when hip hop wasn't, it was no longer just music, right? It was a fashion statement. It was a way of life. It was your mind and your thoughts and who you hung out with really was defined at this point of what hip hop was going to be. And then in the 1990s, so 1982 to 1996, like I've said, um, hip hop really began transitioning and incorporating more jazz R&B. Um, and this is when groups like Boys to Men um, emerged. And that was when that kind of late night sexcapades transition into music in the hip hop industry really started to come out was in the late 1990s. Um, and so you had artists who were, you know, trying to make love making music, um, but also a you know, attributing to being, you know, respected and being from the streets because that again, you know, hip hop comes from inner city. And so a lot of artists, the harder you went on a track and that's still true today, the more respected you're going to be in the industry. Okay, so we're going to skip a couple of years um, and talk about the millennial life-changing moment that happened for us, um, and that is 9-11. Um, now, if you are a millennial listening to this, chances are you remember exactly where you were during 9-11, um, and you can really remember the transition into war. Um, now, for some of you younger kids, if you are younger, I guess, than maybe 22, um, you may not remember this so much, but there was a huge 
push um, for patriotism after 9-11, obviously, because that was a terror attack, terrorist attack on our great nation. Um, but in other genres of music, there was a huge transition into bringing patriotism and bringing country pride into every song that came out. And I'm specifically talking about country um, because that is really where we're going to see the biggest trend um, in transition after 9-11. But hip hop really didn't see that. Um, It really, you know, there were some artists that have put out albums with burning twin towers on them. Um, But those came out really around the first bombing, which was in 1994 with the Trade Centers, which I'm sure a lot of you listening to this probably don't remember that, just as I don't. Um, But 2001 really wasn't a defining moment, as historians tend to claim um, in other music genres. But for hip-hop specifically, after 2001 is really when the current day music started to take its course. Um, We're seeing less conscious rap come out of 2001 to 2008. Um, It's really when club rap, party rap, frat rap, a lot of those um, sub-genres started emerging from the woodwork. And so... And, you know, from really 2005-ish to 2008, mainstream mainstream music started incorporating hip-hop. Um, and this is a credit to Kanye West. He is he is accredited with bringing hip-hop into mainstream pop music. Um, but at this time, you have dance hits that are coming out. Um, dance was being brought back into hip-hop, such as Teach Me How to Dougie or Crank That Soldier Boy, um, Walk It Out by UGK. Those are really, this period is when hip hop started reincorporating dance and re not really re bringing it in, but when clubs started playing R and B hits like Usher or Akon, um, DJ Khaled came out during this time and T-Pain were all being made popular by MTV and VH1, but they were also being played in TV shows like the Hills, um, and being, you know, played in clubs throughout you know, every major city. Um, and hip hop at this point really wasn't a universal conversation as it is in 2017. Um, but this is really when fashion statements were being, uh, defined by hip hop. So if you wore apple bottom jeans or if you had jackets with fur, um, yes, I am completely referencing T-Pain right now. Those were his lyrics, not my own thoughts. Um, but also, you know, wearing, wife beaters and chains. That was an Eminem movement. Um, and so really this period of time is when, uh, artists started influencing teens to dress a certain way and to really try to incorporate hip hop into their lives instead of their lives being hip hop as it had been. So at this time too, you know, Music videos were kind of still the main way of listening to these artists and defining what you thought about hip hop or what fashion influences you wanted to make. Um, But again, this is also the time that, you know, MySpace is coming out or Facebook is really getting started. And so a lot of artists were coming out at this time and releasing mixtapes. And that's not to say that mixtapes really weren't happening before that. um, But this is really when 
free music and click to download and using LimeWire or Pirate Bay to find the latest cool track and having songs uh, like pop, lock, and drop it as your ringtone. Um, this is really when, again, hip-hop was starting to transition into that uh, change. And so then, you know, in between, really in between 2008 and 2011 um, was kind of a dead period. I'd like to, I like to say I don't think that this time really had anything that was life-changing. I'm sure there's a few albums out there that people will gladly disagree with with my statement on. But for me, there really wasn't anything that came out of that era that is worth mentioning now. Um, but in the future, I plan to go decade by decade and talking about greatest and worst albums so we can touch on it then. Um, but in 2011, um, is a very defining year, I think, um, for me. And that was because it was the first XXL freshman class. Now, XXL Magazine is a hip-hop media outlet. Um, I look up to them a lot. They have incredible content, great writers. Um, But they started a nomination series, I guess you could call it, called the Freshman Class. And every year it was announced, um, and it would include rappers uh, who were considered the up-and-coming or the ones to watch. Um, And so in 2011, uh, the first class included artists like Mac Miller and Kendrick Lamar. Um, You, I'm sure, know who Kendrick Lamar is, but Mac Miller's kind of fallen off a little bit. Um, He is considered what they call frat rap um, because he is a white fratty looking dude. Um, he had his ears pierced for a while. He had a baby face. Um, he wore skater shoes and he wore a flat bill hat. And so artists who kind of fit that persona, um, have been classified as frat rap. You also have Asher Roth, Kyle Lucas, um, who's out of Marietta, Georgia. So those artists, they're, they're just kind of there to do drugs and have a good time. Um, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. That is a sub genre of hip hop. Um, But Kendrick Lamar really was defined at this point, and he really started to put the mark on what mainstream conscious rap looked like. Um, And so, again, every year um, after that, you know, 2012 featured Machine Gun Kelly, who is very proudly out of my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I definitely look up to him because of the way he raps about his pride for Cleveland, because if you're listening to this and you're from Cleveland, you know how much we get shit on. And I specifically love MGK because it makes me homesick, you know, and he, he's a very good rapper. Um, I guess you could say he's got a good flow. Um, but he definitely, he is a rock star rapper. Um, so he's kind of taken that frat rap movement into the next level. Um, he's been known for trashing hotel rooms and jumping off of balconies. Um, but he is, he's also very vocal about his influences coming from Blink-182 and other, other punk bands like Papa Roach or, um, a lot of the the artists that came out of the late 90s and the early 2000s that were in punk music, Machine Gun Kelly attributes his persona, even though he's a rapper, to those bands specifically. 
Um, and then in 2013, we had Joey Badass, who is one of my favorite rappers of the millennium. Um, he was featured as an XXL freshman at only 17 years old. That was when his first mixtape came out. And Joey Badass has made a name for himself as a conscious rapper. He definitely can throw in some trap, trap rap beats, um, but his message is always about fighting for equality and fighting for injustices. His new album, All American Badass, it dropped uh, back in April, I believe. Um, yeah, because it dropped a week before Kendrick Lamar's Damn came out. And uh, that entire album has lyrics like fuck Donald Trump and, you know, talking about hope in the black dream, whereas you know, comparatively, a conscious rapper out of Houston, Kyle Kyleone, has rapped that he believes that the black dream died back when MLK was assassinated. And so Joey Badass tries to stay a little more hopeful, um, but he also is very powerful in his message and he speaks to what he believes can be the change. Um, and he was also interviewed not too long ago and, you know, talks about why he chooses to make conscious rap. And that's because he doesn't feel that sitting on a sidewalk protesting and blocking cars is as beneficial as others do. Um, because he looks at it as if I'm blocking a car and I'm inconveniencing maybe this mom to go pick up her child from school, then my protest isn't making a statement. It's only creating more issues. Um, so Joey Badass definitely, he's got a good head on his shoulders and he's also kind of transitioned into acting. You may know him if you watch Mr. Robot. Um, he is on Mr. Robot and has really kind of mastered both platforms. Um, but his year in 2013 also included Schoolboy Q, who is another favorite rapper of mine. He's definitely more on the do drugs, gangster rap kind of side of hip hop. Um, he has no problem talking about women, um, and not necessarily in a bad way, but he definitely mentions, you know, big booties and having sex and, you know, just other sides of hip hop, you know, it's, it's about what you like to do. Um, and so that was 2013, um, 2014 and 2015 were definitely really good years for XXL freshmen. Um, 2014 introduced Chance the Rapper into our lives. Um, I definitely, Chance the Rapper is not really a top 10 artist for me. I really appreciate his artistry, um, and the way that he's changed the industry. He won a Grammy off of being an unsigned artist and he continues to this day to be an unsigned artist. Um, and he definitely, he's got a very good positive outlook, um, for being a rapper. He's from Chicago. So he represents the Kanye side of the world. Um, but that's 2014 is really when he started gaining his traction. Um, and putting his foot down about who he was going to be as an artist. So then in the 2015 XXL freshman class, um, my, one of my favorite artists groups, uh, gold link, gold link was chosen, uh, to be in that freshman class. And he has worked with massive underground artists such as Brent Fiaz, who has, who's in his own group called Sonder, um, 
But Goldlink is really cool. He has cool fashion statements like wearing overalls or wrapping through telephone receivers. Um, and actually recently he was on Jimmy Kimmel uh, performing his track called Crew, which came out, uh, I believe, early 2017 or late 2016. Um, but they played that song in Jimmy Kimmel, uh, and hopefully that kind of helped their traction because he's definitely an artistic artist, um, who should have a bigger market than he does, but he's, he's very much an underground artist still to this day. Um, whereas Joy Badass, Chance the Rapper, Kendrick Lamar have really, taken the industry by storm and have defined certain pockets of hip-hop such as conscious rap, mainstream rap, etc. So 2016 is, I think, when hip-hop started to once again make a transition. Um, the 2016 XXL freshman class was a interesting I guess for a better word, a very interesting mashup of artists. Um, so in this group, um, now the groups usually have about six artists average, um, but 2016 specifically had artists such as Denzel Curry, who is a pretty popular cypher rapper. Um, and cyphers are basically a fancy word for battle rap. Um, and he is one of the top artists in battle rap now. He was even in 2016. Uh, but then they put him in a freshman class with artists such as Kodak Black, who you can never really understand what he's saying. Um, and Kodak Black has been in and out of jail. He's been known uh, for abuse and domestic violence. Uh, he also was, you know... I don't know if it's true, but there were allegations of sexual assault. And so Kodak Black really doesn't have a good name to him. Um, I don't support him as an artist. You probably will never hear me mention him again on this podcast. Uh, but he was mixed in with Denzel Curry. And then 2016, the best part of this freshman class was the introductory cipher um, of Dave East. Now, when you are in when you're inducted into a freshman class, you are put through um, kind of a video promo where you participate in a cipher with the other freshman class nominees. Um, but it's not necessarily a who wins kind of thing. Um, it's mainly you get on the mic and you show the followers of the magazine who you are. You introduce yourself. Um, and so again, there's really no battle aspect to it, but you have a DJ in the background and you have the nominees going back and forth. Um, now, again, in 2016, we had Dave East and he is my favorite rapper of the last 10 years. I absolutely love him. Um, he is out of Harlem. Um, he proudly represents them in his music, but he is a more gangster rap inspired artist, um, but he has some good articulation. He's not on point with his words or language. Um, he talks about hooking up with women in hotel rooms and, but he, you know, he's a storyteller, um, specifically 
my favorite track, Keisha, which is on his original album. Um, he tells an entire story of meeting a girl and her giving him his life, her life story without him asking. And then he goes and meets up with her in a hotel room and she steals $25,000 out of his pocket and his rolly his Rolex watch and, you know, he has to stop for condoms and he's at the club and it, you know, even though it's very promiscuous, he is a storyteller and that's what he does in his music. Um, in his new album, uh, Paranoia, a true story came out a few weeks ago and includes artists such as Nas, Wiz Khalifa, Chris Brown, and, Dave East, even though he was in the freshman class, he really didn't gain traction until recently when he started working with Nas and Ice Cube. Um, and he was actually signed to Def Jam, I believe, in 2015, 20, end of 2016, so middle of last year. Um, and they really didn't do much with him, which is really unfortunate. He kind of just sat around. Um, he did some really great features, some remixes. Uh, but then when Paranoia was about to drop, there was really no mention of the album um, other than by Dave East himself um, until about the week of the drop. And so as a fan, um, I really didn't know what to expect, but it's definitely a great album and you should check it out. Um, but, you know, Dave East, definitely, he's a weed smoker. He promotes that on all of his social media, but he also has a daughter that he just equally incorporates as he does all of his drugs. Um, so he's definitely, he's my favorite artist. I really enjoy his music and his artistry for what it's worth. And then finally this year, 2017, uh, is very, it's an unfortunate XXL class. Um, I've had multiple conversations with people on my Twitter just about you know, depending on what kind of hip hop fan you are, if you enjoy more of the conscious style, boom bap instrumentals, um, and boom bap is a instrumental style that incorporates 1990s sounds into today's music. Um, so if you listen to a lot of Joey Badass's original albums or EPs, you're going to hear that boom bap style. But the 2017 XXL freshman class is where hip-hop is now being divided. Um, and by divided, I'm not saying, I'm not using that in a negative tone whatsoever, um, but we need to have the conversation of what hip-hop should actually be called um, because this year is really when punk kind of, kind of just came into hip-hop. Um, so we have artists like Lil Uzi Vert, Lil Yachty, 21 Savage. Um, those were all individuals who were in the freshman class, but they promote drug use such as taking Xanax or they've talked about suicide such as Lil Uzi Vert. He had the song uh, Exotor that talks about all my friends are dead. So kind of like promoting that suicide is okay. Um, where, you know, on the flip side, logic came out with one 800. That is a way to say that you have people that will support you. Um, so suicide has been a really big topic this year in 2017, but 
just the same, these rappers who are in this XXL freshman class are very much, you know, they're dyeing their hair pink. They're, they've got that punk look. They have their septums pierced. They've, they're jumping off of telephone poles. They're kind of taking the original Machine Gun Kelly rock star image and transforming it into a Gen Z millennial, uh, kind of rebellion. Um, but they, they don't use articulation. They, don't have good vocabulary. And so, you know, the arguments I've had on Twitter is, you know, hip hop is declining. If this is who we're being left with, hip hop's not going to be around for very much longer because it sucks. Um, and that that's opinion um, that d- really divides the hip hop audience. Um, there's a few of their tracks that I support. Um, you know, 21 Savage had a song that came out recently called Rap Saved Me. Um, and I like that song. It's kind of like you put it on in the car and you don't, it's like one of those things that you just don't really think about. It's just good music to listen to. Um, and this is, this is, these artists would be what's called, uh, mumble rap. And so 2017 is when we're really seeing that transition into mumble rap. And again, Mumble rap is no articulation, not a large vocabulary pool to pull from. Um, and so I really attribute mumble rap to kind of like disco. Um, and if you read my pieces um, or follow me on Twitter, you know that I think that mumble rap is a terrible phase, just like I think disco was a horrible phase. Um, but there is there is meaning um, to the genre, subgenre. Um, and that's specifically because it's music, just like disco was as a way to kind of forget about what's around you. Um, you know, so in, in the sixties during the Vietnam war, there were, uh, artists or groups like the village people who were coming out talking about being gay and going to the YMCA and kind of like steering away from the conversation of the draft with Vietnam. Whereas today, mumble rappers are really kind of pulling their audience away from the white supremacist that's in the White House right now and pulling away from the constant police brutality and just kind of forgetting about the world that's around them um, and just listening to music, zoning out, having a good time. And that's really what mumble rap is, um, just as disco was 50 plus years ago. Um, And, you know, that's not to say that one is right or one is wrong. Um, I definitely think that it's okay to like mumble rap. Um, there's definitely some songs in the genre that I have in playlists. Um, but I also don't think that there's anything wrong with preferring conscious rap instead of mumble rap. Um, because it's all about what you get from hip hop. And, you know, like I said last week that hip hop really is what taught me about culture and it taught me about the world around me. And, you know, these transitions into subgenres such as Christian rap or mumble rap or trap rap, um, you know, and the progression we've seen since the early 1990s in this, in this industry is that you have to take it for what it means to you. And, you know, if that means that you like heavier beats or you like lighter beats or, you know, whatever you want to get out of the genre, that's your call. And that's why these subgenres are coming out of the woodwork and being created is because artists are producing music for what means, you know, what it means to them. And they hope to capture an audience that thinks similarly to how they do.
So the XXL freshman class really has, you know, again, defined uh, the music industry over the last decade. Um, But it definitely shouldn't define who you like or who you don't like. Um, And it definitely has helped hip hop go from a night party in the Bronx to a worldwide cultural movement um, because we are featuring artists who stand for a certain message or they have started a clothing brand or they have a weed industry business. Um, you know, but also too, if we're looking at pop culture or fashion, hip hop has also been influenced into those phenomenons, such as logic being brought into Rick and Morty. He had a character montage in a recent episode. Um, and when I say recent y'all, uh, I really mean like last six months to a year. When I reference recent, it's in, it's within the last year. Um, so I will get better at learning my dates. Um, but the Ricky Morty episode came out over the summer, right around the time that Logic's album dropped in July. Um, but again, hip hop has really transformed, you know, like I said, from being a night party in the Bronx, just to break dance on some cardboard on the ground into an everyday conversation. You know, we can't, We can't jump on Twitter or on Facebook without seeing something about Kanye West or the Kardashians um, or the influence that hip hop's had, you know, on the NBA or on the NFL um, or even, you know, making fun of Chris Brown releasing a 48 track album and then releasing 12 additional songs to make it a deluxe set. Um, So hip hop is definitely a depthful conversation. Um, but I definitely think we needed to have this conversation today to kind of help set the stage for where we plan to take this podcast. Um, so I hope you enjoyed a little fun history lesson. I hope I made it insightful and you learned something. Um, I promise every week will not be a history test. Um, but I definitely think it's important to understand the basis and, you know, the foundation to where hip hop got started and kind of look at where the major milestones of the genre are from. So we don't have to really do that every time we talk. Um, but again, I hope you enjoyed this. I definitely enjoy making this podcast for you and I really am loving all the support that I've gotten. Um, so make sure to shoot me questions or let me know things you want to hear on my Twitter at Sarah Loretta. Um, and I will talk to you guys next week. Them to cease and tell it like it is, and now you gotta compete. Show me bring it back down. They think it's a game right now, yeah. but it ain't the same right now. Know my name right now. Yeah. Back where I came from now. We gon' live it up till we bring it back down. They think it's a game right now, but it ain't the same right now. Know my name right now. Back where I came from now. We gon' live it up till we bring it back down.